electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. There's your scorecard on Wall Street, and it's a high score, but winners stay late. Welcome to Closing Bell Overtime. I'm John Fort with Morgan Brennan. And coming up this hour, breaking earnings results from Adobe, the $225 billion software giant that has climbed 40% in the past month on AI optimism, among other reasons. We're going to bring you the numbers and expert analysis. Plus, we'll get the latest read on the Fed's balance sheet this hour following yesterday's rate decision, and we're awaiting lifts shareholder meeting as that stock has struggled all year long. Markets rallying broadly the day after the Fed pause. All sectors finishing in the green today. And joining us now, longtime market bull Tom Lee, Fundstrat Global Advisors co-founder, and Mona Mahajan, Edward Jones, senior investment strategist. Guys, welcome. Tom, hey, people like to call you a perma-bull. I made my joke about them replacing the Wall Street bull statue with a Tom Lee statue. But I asked <laughs> the overtime team for receipts. Uh, February 22nd, you said investors should expect payback. We had one of the best Januaries. On uh, March 3rd, you said you see a strong rally in the next two months as softer inflation data hits. Then on the 7th of March, you said inflation could be easing much faster than expected. Fang is set to grow. You weren't just directionally right. You were pretty specifically right. So, all right, I'll give you credit where credit's due. What do you say now? What's coming next? Uh, John, I, I think that uh, investors should still view this year as, as full of opportunities. I, I think there is a lot of uh, pessimism that exists and people feeling they missed the rally. Uh, but what I think is going to happen in the next, uh, for the rest of the year, is that we're going to see a, a, a real expansion of market breadth. And I, I think part of it comes from the Fed's message yesterday. I know that there's two hikes sort of baked into the dots and even in, in their views, but I think that the Fed is essentially green lighting the ability for markets to go higher because with with the with the Fed sort of saying that they have some breathing room, I think it allows CEOs to sort of start to move forward. You know, earnings growth estimates are actually creeping up, and even Q2X energy earnings growth looks like it's going to turn positive. Uh, to me, that's a green light for cyclicals to rally. So I think okay. this is like small caps, industrials, etc. Now, Mona, that doesn't mean that you should sit on your hands fixed income wise either. If we do get those. Just two hikes, probably quarter point over a series of months. That means we're near the end of that cycle. And so longer duration bonds, you say, might make sense to lock that in here. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we are with Tom. We see opportunities in equities and bond markets forming. In fact, the Fed told us yesterday, yes, they could have one to two more hikes left. But 2024, they're seeing 100 basis points of cuts. So when you look out six to 12 months, which markets do, we're seeing a better inflationary environment. We're seeing a better yield environment overall and potentially a better earnings backdrop. Earnings are expected to grow double digits in 2024. Now, to your point on bonds, um, think about it. Right now, we could be at the peak of Treasury bond yields. Treasury bond yields historically have peaked one to two months ahead of Fed funds rate. If you're at a peak in Treasury bond yields, that means longer duration makes a lot more sense. You're locking in better yields. 
better price appreciation potentially if yields peak and roll over over time. So good opportunities in both sides of the market, we but think. Mona, how much of this does hinge on this soft landing narrative? And then given the fact that we have seen valuations expand the way we have it in recent trading sessions. I mean, the S&P 44.25, we're looking at, what, 19 times forward earnings, maybe a little higher than that right now. I mean, are we long in the tooth? Yeah, you know, it's a great point. And look, we don't think a soft landing necessarily has to happen for this market to expand. In fact, if you look what the Fed told us yesterday, a 1% GDP growth, if you think about that, that implies a second half that is softening, potentially negative slightly. But I think the market is braced for now a mild recessionary environment, or at least a slowdown to below potential growth for the second half of the year. So we think markets are priced for that. They can't ignore it completely. We've had a great rally. Uh, Historically, one to two corrections are the norm in any given year. So we wouldn't expect um, that not to happen this year. And we would actually, you know, think it's a little healthy to get a little bit of consolidation after a really nice run. But that's your opportunity to position then for better returns ahead. Tom, what would you be staying away from right now? Uh, Well, I think some of the crowded trades are things like cash. And, uh, and I just heard on the earlier show that money market funds are starting to see the first departures of cash and presumably into risk assets. But also, that I think that means defensive sectors in the S&P. You know, it's, it hasn't been a winning strategy to be defensive this year, whether it's utilities or REITs or staples. These have, uh, well, they've beaten cash, but they've underperformed the market pretty dramatically. So I think people need to be a little more risk on. Huh. So, Mona, what about uh, mega caps, yeah. specifically the ones that have had these AI-fueled rises? They're already sort of overrepresented in the S&P, in the NASDAQ yeah. 100, et cetera. Should, should investors be shifting more out of those as they see opportunity put cash to work? Or do you think they're going to continue to lead? You know, look, we think the AI story is a 10-year secular bull story. We're in the early innings of it. We need to have exposure to that space. Uh, But have we run pretty far, pretty fast? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Could we shift some of the profits we gain there into some of the laggards uh, this year? And in fact, we've seen only three sectors outperform the S&P. Eight have underperformed. And so we do expect a broadening in market participation. We do expect a broadening in leadership especially as we're looking towards that recovery period in 2024. So we do think the mega caps will have room to run for a long-term investor. Uh, But for now, we think that market participation will get broader. Okay. Uh, Adobe earnings are out right now. We're going through the numbers. We're going to bring you those results momentarily here. You can see uh, the shares, well, they're up slightly right now uh, in uh, the after-hours trade uh, as investors digest those results. Tom, um, you know, you're starting to see analysts and economists try and wrap their arms around what AI, this AI revolution is going to mean in terms of impact and contribution to economic growth. How are you thinking about that as we do see these AI focused or levered names, stocks that have performed so, so strongly in recent weeks and, and since the start of the year? How are you thinking about how that contributes to this economic picture and this soft landing? Um, well, I, I think viewers have to appreciate the AI companies and what the problem they're solving, which is really either making workers more productive or replacing workers, is solving, I think, a huge structural shortage in the world of labor. I mean, there is now more people than working age people. So th- th- this gap is going to grow, grow until 2035. So AI is truly solving a problem. I, I think that's why. Uh, companies are going to be more capex intensive, less labor intensive. 
I don't think they're that expensive yet, believe it or not, because if you're, you know, if you look at the mega caps now at around 29 times earnings, it's about the same PE as a 10-year bond. And, you know, you're getting earnings growth out of Fang and AI. All right, Mona, I want to get your thoughts on international because we do have, we had that weaker than expected data from China overnight. You have stimulus and the expectation yeah. of more stimulus coming out of there. Folks are focused on Japan with a rate decision there. ECB hiking this yeah. morning. Uh, a lot of debate about whether U.S. is still the, I guess, best neighborhood, uh, the best neighborhood to, to put your money to work uh, versus some of these other places. How are you yeah, thinking about Yeah, you know, it? look, uh, heading into this year, we actually saw really nice outperformance in Europe. And that was because they avoided that recessionary environment back in 2022 when a lot of people thought they were exposed to this energy trade, the Russia-Ukraine geopolitical risk as well. Um, but, you know, over the last few weeks, what we've really seen is the U.S. starting to outperform once again. And that's partly because uh, Europe is very exposed to China as well. Stronger trading partner there as well. And in fact, their inflationary pressures continue uh, to surprise the upside, whereas in the U.S. we're starting to see better inflationary trends overall. So we'd say in the near term, over the next six to 12 months, probably continue to see U.S. outperformance. Um, but over time, as we talked about that recovery in 2024, as you kind of head out of a down economic downturn towards a recovery, you start to see participation broaden, not only, you know, small caps, cyclicals, but international EM starts to do well as well. So I think in that backdrop, when you're thinking about broadening your portfolio, broadening uh, participation and potential leadership, uh, your recovery basket should include some EM, EM and international exposure. Uh, that could take, you know, a few months to play out, but use any volatility again as opportunities to make sure you have that as we head into the back half of this year and into next year. All right. Mona, thank you. Thank you, guys. Tom, thank you as well. As we mentioned, Adobe's numbers are out. That stock crossing 500 bucks a share after hours, maybe for the first time since early 2022. Steve Kovac has the numbers. Steve. John, yeah, shares up about one and a half percent on this beat on the top and bottom lines for Q2. Uh, here are the results. EPS coming in at $3.91 adjusted versus the $3.79 Street was looking for. Revenue a beat as well, just slightly $4.82 billion versus $4.77 billion expected. And as for the Q3 guidance, revenue pretty much in line for uh, between up to $4.87 billion. Street was looking for $4.86 billion. And also I'd note the full year uh, EPS guide and the Q3 EPS guide are above expectations as well. Shares up a little over 2%, John. All right, Steve Kovac, thank you. And do not miss Jim Cramer's exclusive interview with Adobe CEO, Shantanu Narayan, coming up at 6 p.m. on Mad Money. Well, up next, a rare interview with Evercore ISI Chairman Ed Hyman. He's going to tell us why he says that even though the SVB crisis is behind us, something else could be likely to break. And speaking of SVB, late breaking news this afternoon on Goldman Sachs receiving a DOJ subpoena for its role in the Silicon Valley bank collapse. We're going to bring you those details when Overtime comes right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. We have a news alert on Goldman Sachs. Leslie Picker has the details. Leslie? Hey, John. Goldman Sachs disclosed in regulatory filings a few weeks ago that various governmental bodies were in touch with the firm as part of a broader probe into the downfall of Silicon Valley Bank. The Wall Street Journal reporting a short while ago that the Fed and the SEC are investigating and the Justice Department has subpoenaed Goldman as part of its investigation into SVB. The journal cites people familiar with the matter in its reporting. And the crux of Goldman's involvement stems from an attempted capital raise that took place right before the bank failed. The journal said regulators are looking into whether Goldman's investment banking side and trading division were communicating about the portfolio sale. I haven't been able to confirm specific details about the investigation and which agencies are doing it, but a spokesman for Goldman Sachs said in a statement, quote, as we have publicly disclosed in our 10Q, Goldman Sachs is cooperating with and providing information to various governmental bodies in connection with their investigations and inquiries into SVB, including the firm's business with SVB in or around March 2023. The firm told SVB in writing that it would not act as an advisor on the sale and urged SVB to hire a third-party financial advisor. Uh, And Goldman said, of course, in that 10Q that we're disclose these probes that it was cooperating with these investigations. An SEC spokesperson said that they do not comment on the existence or non-existence of a possible investigation. The DOJ and Fed declined to comment to our requests, guys. All right, we'll keep an eye on that one. Leslie Picker, thank you. The Fed decision to pause sending stocks rallying today by our next guest says I think it's still breaking the market due to the rapid pace of rate hikes. Joining us now is Ed Hyman, Evercore ISI chairman. Ed, so great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Okay, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your show. So, John, you too. Uh, Thanks. So I do, I do want to start, you know, we've, we've seen the market rally, uh, and it rallied pretty, pretty strongly today, and it's sort of this laying to rest, this idea of recession talk. Uh, and I just wonder if you think the bulls and the optimists are doing a victory lap here too soon, when we know that all of those rate increases that we saw ahead of yesterday have yet to fully be impacted uh, or felt in the economy. Yeah, well, I, I think it's not too soon necessarily. Let me explain, though. Uh, it takes a long time for monetary policy to work, like one in two years, which is virtually unbelievable. Uh, but the Fed paused in the summer of 2006. Let me take you through the time period. The recession started in 2008, 18 months later. Uh, so what I'm seeing uh, might take another 10 months to impact the economy. We've already had an inverted yield curve for about eight months. So it might take another 10 months uh, to get enough time for it to impact. And uh, the S&P rallied 20% during that during 16 months of the 18. And the economy in the fourth quarter of 2007, uh, just, before the econ- just before it was about to go into the Great Recession, uh, GDP growth was 2.5%. And employment was pretty good. Uh, and so the, the market's basically doing a repeat of that. Uh, but it, it does... Uh, assume that the Fed is going to pause. Uh, and if they do two more rate hikes, then that's probably too much. But if they can uh, pause now and not do the July hike, 
uh, that would probably uh, fit. Uh, if they do a July high, that, it's a little bit uh, more touchy. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I see it working out uh, with, the, with the long lags involved. But I do think, I was listening to your program uh, just now, uh, I don't think the economy is going to reaccelerate for a long time because <laughs> of, of the lags involved. So I, I don't see a pickup in, say, the first half of 2024. Okay. So, so when I hear you, when I hear you liken uh, what we're seeing right now play out in the markets and the economy to 2007, 2008, it, it raises the question, do you think a soft landing is actually possible? No. <laughs> the, now, you know, I've, a lot of times I've said no, and it turned out to be yes. But uh, <laughs> uh, the, in, in this case, uh, the, the yield curve is one of my uh, inputs to your question, significantly inverted. And the money supply is contracting for the first time, or the, the most it's done since the 1930s, which that gets my attention. Uh, and then lastly, uh, in addition to the aggressive rate increases, uh, they have QT going on, which I don't have any history to study, but right. that's another a third leg on the tightening side. So, Ed, the consumer is notoriously stretched right now. You know, lots of credit. Uh, so credit-wise, then we got student loan repayment that's coming up in the fall. It, you know, it, they're paying, the consumer's paying a lot in rent or, you know, a lot in mortgage as a percentage of their total income. So is this economy really hinged on a continued strength in employment? And if that weakens, is there the potential for some other dominoes to fall? Absolutely. So I think you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, the consumer, I, I think, John, is in, in pretty good shape, uh, not really stretched too much. Uh, they've had a good situation with their house price, and now stocks are up. Uh, that leaves the lower-income people in uh, a less advantaged position. Uh, but I, I think uh, that employment is the key. And employment's been good, uh, maybe getting a little bit weaker today. You saw unemployment claims move up. Uh, so what's the risk? Gonna, so is it is it the, the pullback? The is it a pullback in that revenge travel, perhaps because services have been so strong relative uh, to to product? Uh, where's the risk in employment most that you see? Uh, it's over the entire spectrum. It's not just services. Manufacturing is already probably in recession, uh, but I'm not sure exactly what sector of employment is going to pull back. Uh, but I do think that is the linchpin. And in order to get a weaker economy, uh, you have to get weaker employment. But I think that's going to come. And as I mentioned, unemployment claims, which is the best timely measure of labor markets, uh, they've moved up already a fair amount, to about uh, 260,000 up from maybe 180. Okay. And, and 300,000 is a recession level. So you're moving in that direction, but not there yet. Well, we'll watch it. Ed, we appreciate Thank it. Thank you. All right, Ed Hyman. Shares of Mediterranean chain Kava getting a healthy boost today in its public debut, doubling from its $22 IPO price. And Look up at next, that. yeah, I mean, that's a lot of hummus. A top investor breaks down the other restaurant stocks he's sinking his teeth into. And we come right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We have breaking news on Disney. Chief Financial Officer Christine McCarthy is stepping down. She's taking a family medical leave of absence. Kevin Lansbury, CFO of Disney Parks, Experiences and Products, will serve as the company's interim CFO starting July 1st. Yeah, and those shares are down about half a percent right now. We've got another mover to tell you about, too, because Virgin Galactic is moving higher right now. That's up almost 7.5% uh, in after-hours trading. The company announcing the start of commercial space flight service, saying that the first commercial space flight will take place between June 27th and June 30th. So about a week and a half from now, this is going to be, they're going to be doing a second flight, if that one goes well, uh, in August as well. The company says monthly flights are expected after that. Shares getting a big jump on that news, now up almost 9%. And I would just note, we will be covering that. Yours truly will be covering the start of that commercial service, which has been many years in the making for Richard Branson later this month. It's Explain time. the pop. What's the gravity of the news here? Wow, you just wanted to say gravity. I did. It's uh, listen. It's I know it's a suborbital move. Um, no, listen. It's 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 the fact that we have a date. The service is finally starting, and I think more importantly to this disclosure is the fact that there is another space flight already scheduled behind it as long as this one goes according to plan. So that is big news for this name. I'd also just note Virgin Galactic still trading at just a fraction of where it traded at its peak a couple of years ago. Yeah. So one to watch. Okay, it's time now for a CNBC News update with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha. Hey, Morgan. Here's what's happening. The U.S. government's cyber watchdog says several U.S. agencies were hacked. According to the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, a well-known ransomware group breached the agencies through a program designed to easily upload files. The watchdog did not make it clear whether the hackers succeeded in stealing sensitive files or disrupting government systems. German police have taken an American man into custody in the death of a, a U.S. tourist and the assault of another near a popular travel destination south of Munich. Police say the 30-year-old man met the two female tourists aged 21 and 22 on a hiking path near Neuschanstein. I apologize for the mispronunciation. It's a castle south of Munich, and he lured them onto a trail. They say he attacked the women and pushed both of them into a ravine. Authorities have not identified the suspect. At least seven firefighters were hurt battling a massive four-alarm fire at a warehouse in Kansas City, Missouri. Crews were called in to the building shortly after noon. Fire department says the building was filled with pallets that burned for a long time at high temperatures. Back over to you, John. Bertha, thank you. Kava doubling in its market debut, showing some signs of life for the sluggish IPO market. And joining us now for his take on the IPO, the broader reopening trade is Advisor Share CEO Noah Hammond. Noah, is this really about Kava? I mean, it's a really big move. Uh, the IPO range had been rising over time. Or is this about just not a lot of inventory of IPO shares and, you know, restaurant ETFs having to own it? Yeah, I think it's more that, to be honest with you, cash on the sidelines, people looking for investment opportunities. I do think there's, you know, the story there with the reopening trade. Uh, it's a good restaurant. I think it's poised for good growth. 
Um, obviously different kind of structure than say something like a Dutch Brothers, but you've got some of these up and coming brands uh, with unique food offerings. Cava's definitely one of them. I mean, I don't think they're going to be the, you know, sort of burger, Subway, taco, Chipotle, but I think, you know, more market demand than say something like Sweet Greens, which recently came out. So would you buy uh, this name now that it's publicly traded? You know, not today, um, <laughs> probably at the initial price range or within, you know, a few dollars of that price range, probably. Uh, it jumped up quite a bit. And so, you know, I think this might be something where, depending on where you are as an investor, um, you might want to wait and see how the price action plays out a little bit, especially if this is, you know, one of many more to come. In other words, wait for this to cool off before you I think so. put it in right. your portfolio. It might get burned. Thanks, Noah. Uh, up next, former Wells Fargo CEO Dick Kovacevic on the outlook for bank stocks after some mixed messaging from executives this week. Plus, Lyft's annual shareholder meeting is kicking off in just a few minutes. It will be a big test for new CEO David Reicher as the stock lags the market this year. We're going to bring you the headlines as they come over time. Right back. Stock surging today as investors digest the Fed decision. Uh, financials participating in the rally, but we've heard some mixed messaging from bank executives this week. Wells Fargo mentioning tailwinds in the second half at a conference Tuesday, while executives from Key Corp and U.S. Bank Corp were less optimistic. Joining us now, former Wells Fargo CEO Dick Kovacevic. Dick, uh, starting on the decision itself, you say this pause it was a mistake. Uh, why? Is it because you think inflation is more likely to get entrenched at 3% or higher? And, and if that happens, what happens next? Well, yeah, I, I just think uh, the, the, the Fed made a mistake in, in, in their uh, supposed data-dependent decision-making. Uh, I, I find it hard uh, to understand how, from the same data, you pause in June and then you project that there's going to be two two more increases. Uh, I think the data showed, quite frankly, that they should have increased the, the uh, uh, interest rate by 25 basis points and perhaps only have one more to go before we get to the terminal rate. So I think this confusion has diminished the... the um, confidence of, uh, of the public in the, in the Federal Reserve and it's confused the, the markets. But Dick, did we spring a leak sort of back in March with SVB and other regional banks? Might they be concerned? Well, let's see how the financial system does with this level of pressure over a period of time. We'll just hike at half the rate. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what they decided to do because they didn't expect that things would be <laughs> be the way they are today. And and like I say, the the inflation didn't come down as much as they thought. Uh, the core, the fact, core inflation is is uh, still very high at five point three percent. Their favorite inflation uh, number, the PCE, actually went up. The the employment was was better, and box stock and bank stocks are up. And have been for you know the last three weeks. So I, I think they got caught by uh, anticipating uh, uh, results that didn't turn out to be their way. And instead of changing their mind, they went along with the with what they had uh, proposed, uh, or at least were were warning people about that they were going to pause uh, this time. Dick, could there be other factors at play here? And what I mean by that is you have. 
you know, you have a debt ceiling deal now. And so the refill of the Treasury general account, which is expected to pull some liquidity out of the market now, as you see all this uh, debt being issued by Treasury. Uh, and then, of course, we have we still have all of the stabilization that's afoot after all of this deposit flight tied to uh, the banking turmoil we saw earlier in the year. I mean, both of these are scenarios that economists have said could add to tighter financial conditions and help do the Fed's job for it. Do you, do you think that has factored into officials' discussions behind doors that we don't know yet? It could have, but it could also scare people, right? If, 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 I'm going back to data dependency. They said that they're going to be data dependent. And they didn't say they were going to worry about the things that you're mentioning. It's something that, that they could have, but you know, those things have settled down. I mean, the regional banks now, the deposits are staying real steady. And if you if you see something like this, they say, oh, my God, the, the Fed is still worried about these things. It could actually happen. So I, I think you just got to do the right thing and have confidence and show confidence when the data uh, supports you on what you should be doing. I do want to get your thoughts on the state of the banking sector, the health of the banking sector, particularly the regionals. I mean, I've had conversations with various CEOs of regional banks this week, and one of the things they've mentioned is that, you know, listen, this was, these were issues with the banks that we saw fail and collapse. These were issues around their business models and issues around those businesses specifically, that it is wrong to paint a broad brush across the whole sector right now. Um, I wonder how you see it, especially as we do see certain banks, even just this week at the Morgan Stanley conference, saying, you know what, we're pulling back on loan origination for autos or commercial real estate in office space and other things. It, well, but there's no question. These were one-offs. Uh, uh, you know, even, uh, uh, even First Republic would not have failed if it wouldn't have been for SVP. And, but First Republic was a good bank. So, and, and the good news is that the, as the deposits in the regional banks have stabilized, um, and uh, I think what's happening in the market itself is the uh, forecast that we're going to have a slowing economy and even a recession. So when that happens, banks become more cautious. There's just no question about it. Uh, and there's also no question that the office uh, issue is real and there's going to be some losses. These are from losses from, you know, terrific credit, uh, the lack of credit losses, you know, for the last three or four years. So uh, people, uh, the banks are going to be a, a little more uh, careful, but they're going to, I firmly believe they have the capital, uh, they want to increase their profits, they will support those uh, businesses and consumers who are financially uh, viable. Uh, they, need, they need that. And I, I, don't, I don't hear anything about uh, people, you know, uh, about banks saying we're just going to close the doors, no matter whether they're good customers or bad customers. But they're going to be careful about those uh, customers that are on the margin. But that's normal when mm. you're possibly going into a recession. Dick Kovacevic, always great to get your thoughts. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, CNBC hosting its annual Financial Advisors Summit today, where I spoke with Goldman Sachs Global Head of Strategic Advisory Solutions, Candace Say. Say says the investment environment looks very different than the last decade when low rates, low inflation, and rising profit margins spurred strong gains for U.S. equities, especially tech. 
Now, moving forward in the next 10 years, it certainly looks different, because right now we're in an environment of lower GDP growth, higher inflation, higher interest rates, lower profit margins. So from here, we really think that investors need to rethink their portfolio construction. And instead of focusing just on beta, it's all about alpha now, because the cost of capital has gone higher, and investors are no longer just paying for revenue. They want to look for profitability. So there is an element of security selection that needs to be in this type of market in the next cycle. Talks a lot about diversification, maybe even looking overseas where equities are concerned and all the opportunities in fixed income. You can find much more investment advice from today's summit by visiting CNBC.com slash FA. And now breaking news from the Fed. Leslie Picker has it. Leslie. Hey, John. Yes. New disclosures showing the Fed's balance sheet shrinks slightly over the last week through June 14th. This comes after last week's gains reversed 10 straight weeks of declines. We're watching to see kind of if the balance sheet dipped below that $8.305 trillion figure, that's the level where it was before Silicon Valley Bank collapsed, but we're not quite there yet. The balance sheet as of yesterday stands around $8.352 trillion. Now, in terms of looking at kind of overall bank stress, we saw very, very slight increase in borrowing from the Fed discount window and about a week-over-week decline in bank lending facility borrowing. So those kind of negate each other there. We'll get fresh data on deposit levels, though, across the banking system tomorrow afternoon, guys. All right. We'll be looking for it. Leslie Picker, thank you. Well, let's talk about an appetizing IPO. Kava shares skyrocketing after making their Wall Street debut. Up next, New York Stock Exchange President Lynn Martin on Kava's debut and whether the IPO market is showing signs of a comeback. Stay with us. Welcome back to Overtime. A big day at the New York Stock Exchange. Kava making its public debut, doubling in its first day of trade. So far this year, we've seen more than $7 billion in U.S. IPO proceeds, nearly matching all of last year. But Keep in mind, all this is significantly down from 2021, which saw more than $140 billion. That's according to Renaissance. Joining us now, NYSE President Lynn Martin. Lynn, great to have you on the show. I mean, 100% gain from where Kava priced its IPO after the bell last night. We know it was heavily oversubscribed. Can we actually say there's a thawing now of the frozen IPO pipeline, or is this a one-off? Thanks for having me on, Morgan. And I think today really shows the green shoots that are existing in the IPO markets. Obviously, as you said, Kava priced above its range last night, 30 times oversubscribed, had an incredible debut when the stock opened, which continued throughout the day today. But let's not forget the strong debut of Kenview. Uh, earlier this quarter in in early May of this year, which raised $3.8 billion in capital as well. So we're seeing a lot of green shoots here in a thawing of the IPO markets. So in terms of what you're watching for, and I guess the company, the conversations you're having with private companies that might be finally looking to go public right now, what do those entail? Yeah, a lot of companies are looking for the signs that you're starting to see on the macro side. Clearly, yesterday's move by the Fed has caused the market to be very encouraged around the pace of interest rate increases. You're also seeing the VIX well below 20 again, which is a sign that the volatility has come out of the market. So those companies who have been in our pipeline 
some of which have been in our pipeline for more than 18 months, if not longer, they're starting to have conversations with us about, okay, is now the time to start to gear up and go? And clearly, the IPOs that we've seen at NYSE this quarter alone are encouraging signs, and they're really leading those conversations with private companies. But, Lynn, i got to play on the other hand with you here. Kata had a pretty low float uh, overall. There aren't a lot of different IPO shares to choose from out there. And I was just talking to Ariel Cohen, the uh, co-founder CEO of Navan, formerly Trip Actions, and he said he doesn't feel like the market is ready to give software as a service companies the kind of valuations that they deserve quite yet. How long is it going to take for some of those types of names to, to get convinced that are going to perhaps have an even bigger impact on the market? Yeah, you know, that's a great point. And it does really speak to on a sector by sector basis where you're starting to see the thaw. Clearly, energy, particularly anything around clean energy, the green energy transition, that is having a very positive reception from investors at the moment. Consumer, the two IPOs I mentioned, Kava and Kenview, are in that consumer category. That is where you're seeing the thawing as well. Tech still has a little bit of a ways to go, but we're really encouraged by the signs of demand from the institutional investors to even welcome and you know, a large IPO to the market. And Lynn, are direct listings and SPACs just dead? Was that a, a moment in time that's passed? People just want the, the standard arrangement at this point? You know, direct listings are definitely not dead. We're having a lot of meaningful conversations with our prospects about the benefits of direct listing, particularly since we amended our rules to allow for a capital raise alongside a direct listing last December. Uh, SPACs, you know, we, we still think that's a viable way for a company to go to market. But what I don't think you will see is the influx of SPACs that you saw in the 2020-2021 sort of time frame. You're not going to see the sheer number that you saw in that time frame hit the markets again. Remember, SPACs have been around for more than 20 years. So that it was more the saturation of that type of coming to market. But we think SPACs are a very viable means for a company to go public in the future. I want to shift gears here a little bit uh, because the Nasdaq earlier this week announced a deal to acquire fintech firm Adenza for $10.5 billion. We've seen this diversification happening for the exchanges uh, in in terms of finding uh, newer, future, bigger revenue streams. How are you approaching it at the New York Stock Stock Exchange and, and I guess at ICE, the umbrella company of NYSE more broadly? Yeah, at ICE, we are really an all-weather name. We have a strong group of exchanges. We got our start in the commodity exchange business. Obviously, the acquisition by ICE at the New York Stock Exchange in 2013 was one of the benchmark acquisitions. But at ICE, we had pivoted to a diversification. ICE Data Services, which is the business that I came from, uh, started in 2015. And more recently, we've made exciting moves in the mortgage technology sector, really diversifying our revenues to show that we are an all-weather name at the parent company. All right, Lynn Martin, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Exciting day here. Up next, a top analyst tells us what he wants to hear on Adobe's earnings call, which kicks off in just a few minutes. That stock now up a little better than 3%. Is that almost 4 ah, In overtime. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Overtime. Let's get another check on Adobe. Stock popping now about 4% after beating estimates on the top and bottom lines. Third quarter earnings guidance strong as well. Joining us now is Barclays software analyst Sakit Kalia. Um, now, you look at this name, there's the Figma acquisition that's been hanging over it, and the legacy of, in volatile economic times, uh, marketing spend used to get hit pretty hard, but Adobe's a different type of company now. So where is the potential upside, and how much of an overhang is Figma? Sure. Thanks for having me on, John. Well, I, I tell you, with, with the results that we saw this quarter, about $470 million in annually recurring revenue, that's really the, the main metric that we look at. That is just well ahead of what, expectation, what expectations were. And so certainly there are macro fears out there, but it seems like a lot of the new products that Adobe has introduced are starting to, to make an impact here. So uh, I think we, we do see a little bit of the macro impact on the digital experience or DX part of the business. You know, the, the revenue guide uh, there was trimmed just a little bit for the year, but just a, a blowout uh, result in the creative cloud part of the business, which is really the biggest part of Adobe. You know, ahead of these earnings, we had a number of announcements, AI-related announcements from Adobe. Here's Shantanu Narayan joining us just a few weeks ago to talk about one of them. Take a listen. And what you really need is a product like Photoshop, where you can integrate generative AI into what you're trying to edit. And so uh, when we showed uh, what we have done with integration into Photoshop uh, with Firefly, I mean, people's jaws just drop. So we've seen the stock rally. It's up something like 40% before we saw earnings cross the tape uh, over the past month. What do you need to hear from him regarding AI and the monetization of that generative AI for this stock to keep rallying? Sure. Well, I think that, that Firefly could be a really revolutionary product here for Adobe. I think that just in the last few months, you've had almost a half a billion downloads here from the adobe.com Firefly uh, website. And so really one of the most successful beta releases here for Adobe. You know, I think that what investors want to hear more about is the monetization here. And and remember, you know, Firefly is, is it can be a very helpful creative co-pilot that's going to help add value uh, to existing customers. That's also going to help Adobe earn more value. Mm. Uh, also, this is a very commercially safe product. Remember, an enterprise like Barclays, you know, this is this is the very early innings of generative AI. Who knows how intellectual property is going to work? And what second, I really like about Fire, sorry, go I just want to get this last one in. Was the effect of this launch to kill that buzz around? Hey, Canva and Figma were going to eat Adobe's lunch because they were moving too slowly. The buzz seems to have shifted somewhat, right? Uh, a little bit. I think that's right, John. But let's remember that that AI, uh, Adobe is not new to AI. They they were one of the first companies to introduce Sensei back in 2016, uh, and so and so AI is is definitely not a new thing. So I don't think this is catching up. I think this is really the result of almost 10 years of a lot of investment in AI technology for Adobe. All right, Sackett Kalia, thank you for joining us. We have Thanks a news, for having me. We have a news alert on Lyft's shareholder meeting, and Deirdre Bosa has it. Hi, Dee. Morgan, I wish I had more for you, but it was quite stunning. Lyft shareholder meeting, it lasted less than 15 minutes. Only two questions were asked. The first one was, what are you going to do about the stock price? It is trading near record lows, as I mentioned before. It's down 85% from its IPO. 
David Risher, the new CEO, said that it's a lagging indicator, so he still needs time. Remember, he's been in this position for just a few months. He says that they're building awareness, which I took to mean they're going to be spending more on marketing. Unclear how that translates to the bottom line, because remember, this is a company that is still losing money. Seems complacent to have the number two spot. He said, listen, if we can just get people to have two ride-sharing apps on their phone instead of one. That's a good signal for the company. Um, he had a lot to prove here, guys. He's been in this position, yes, for only a few months, but he has yet to really lay out a clear strategy for how he's going to get lift to profitability, how it's going to take back market share. Um, so it was quite surprising to see just two questions here. The second one sounded like it came from a driver, and it was a question on driver deactivations. Interesting. Well, shares are flat right now. Deirdre Bosa, thanks for bringing us the latest on that. Up next, why record-setting a former NASA, NASA astronaut says the future of space is commercial. And speaking of space, take a look at Virgin Galactic. It's like a rocket ship. Huge boost right now. It's up 58, 59%. The company just announcing the start of commercial space flight service. That's slated to begin later this month with another one the following month. Stay with us. Welcome back. Okay, scan this QR code. Trust me, don't miss tomorrow's On the Other Hand newsletter and segment on Squawk Box where I will argue both sides of the topic. Is the stock market in an AI bubble? Sign up using that QR code on the screen or go to cnbc.com slash O-T-O-H. Is it? Is it a bubble? <laughs> I'm yes front-running your, yes I'm front no. running your yes report. Yes no, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, meantime, Peggy Whitson is America's most experienced astronaut, having spent 675 days in space across four trips. She holds a number of records, including most spacewalks by women, 10. And now she's adding another, first female commander of a private space flight, thanks to the recently completed Axiom 2 mission. It's definitely very different for me doing this as a private astronaut. Of course, I'd love to go into space. It's like my second home, and so I, I wanted to go. But being a part of this changing era of space is really exciting to me, and that's what made this flight special for me. Um, and I like to think of it as we are changing the, the evolution of the idea that humanity belongs in space and uh, and we have a purpose to be there. So that's to me that that's changing a bit from where I've come from in the past. Uh, and I'm excited about that. Well, the 10 day AX2 mission had a four person crew, including the first Saudi woman in space traveling to and from the International Space Station via SpaceX Dragon capsule. AX2 conducted more than 20 research experiments. The crew served as research subjects themselves. It was Axiom's second human space flight as the startup uses data from these trips to help inform development of a commercial space station, which it's working with NASA to deploy before the ISS is retired. Whitson is Axiom's director of space flight. And on the latest episode of Manifest Space, we discuss the trip, commercialization of space, even her painstaking path to become an astronaut. The episode is available wherever you get your podcasts. Very interesting stuff. Very in Also interesting, Adobe now up more than 5% after hours. When we talk about this rally and perhaps broadening participation, that would be a very interesting participant if this, if this keeps up. Yeah, and in terms of data, Japan decision, University of Michigan consumer sentiment survey tomorrow. That's going to be a key one to watch after retail sales today. That's going to do it for us here at Overtime. Fast Money starts now. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.